Welcome to Earth Matters, environment and social justice stories from Australia and around the world, produced in the studios of 3CR, on the unceded land of the Wurundjeri and Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation, in Nam, Melbourne, and going out across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'm Judith Peppard. Today on Earth Matters, we're going to Ecuador. What do you stand for? Life? Or death? wants to destroy Yasuni, the most biodiverse place on Earth. We won't let them. On August 20th, Ecuador will vote whether to protect Yasuni or continue oil drilling. money. Life depends on it. On August 20th, 2023, Ecuadorians voted for life and for nature. Ecuadorians have voted to stop oil drilling in one of the most biodiverse places on the planet. People in Ecuador have voted against drilling for oil in a protected part of the Amazon. We end today's show in Ecuador, where voters Sunday overwhelmingly supported a historic referendum blocking oil extraction in the Amazon's Yasuni National Park. As part of Ecuador's national election, two referenda were conducted. In one, around 58% of the people voted to stop all current and future drilling in three oil fields inside the Yasuni National Park. In the other referendum, 68% voted to block mining in the Choco Andino Forest, just outside Ecuador's capital city, Quito. To unpack these events, Liz Downs, the coordinator of the Ecuadorian Endangered Campaign at the Rainforest Information Centre, joined me in the studio at 3CR. I began by asking Liz to tell me more about what's happening in Ecuador. There were two national referenda. All Ecuadorians, like Australians, have to vote. It coincided with the first round of a presidential election. The two referenda were both to protect incredibly biodiverse regions and UNESCO biosphere reserves. One of them is in the eastern part of Ecuador's Amazon rainforest region. It's known as Yasuni, and it's an incredibly important region. The other one is a cloud forest area called the Choco Andino. It's in the northwest of the country. I think something like 3.6% is left of this particular tract of cloud forest that once extended right up through western Colombia and northwestern Ecuador. So Ecuador has the rights of nature, but it's also a resource-rich country. And these referenda were asking people to vote whether to leave oil in the ground in one of these areas and stop mining in one of the other one of these areas. So tell me about the Yasuni National Park. Why is it so important for biodiversity? Yasuni is thought to be the most biodiverse hotspot on the planet and that's for all species, plants, animals, reptiles, everything. The Amazonian large mammals, jaguar and the big cats and the giant otters is a, is a very rare species in that area. Species of monkey, 
even in a very short while, you, you see an incredible amount of wildlife. You know, not only biodiverse, but it's endemized, which means there's a lot of unique species. Tell me about the people whose country it is. Well, only Indigenous people have a territory which was allocated to them by the government. Ancestral land has been for however many thousands of years. There's also some tribes which are in so-called voluntary isolation. The Ecuadorian government a couple of decades ago gazetted a region to be put aside for peoples who have not wanted any contact. The rest of the world only have you know, had missionaries come and pretty much invade in the 1950s and then the oil companies closely followed and it's just been quite problematic for people who have had contact. The missionaries were in fact quite connected with the oil companies and they that were. The, the oil companies <laughs> yes. helped them out, is that right? Pretty much, yeah. It's interesting because, you know, there were nomadic people. The missionaries brought them into one area. One of the realities is that the oil companies, as soon as the, the territory got opened up, in came exploitation, not only oil but sort of other people from surrounding areas, setting up shop and poaching and logging. Roads went through. What are the Rani people saying about how the oil drilling has affected their land? First notice was as soon as the oil wells come in, plants start dying around the oil well. And it's not because of just because of contamination from the well, it's because somehow when you're pumping the oil up, it heats the ground up underneath too much and that really delicate growth cycle of the plants is disrupted. I think there's been 1,500 oil spills in the region that they've been able to count. It started to ramp up in the 1970s. They were working to demarcate their territory back then so that they could say no to exploitation. Unfortunately, the government didn't really honour. They said, oh, yeah, you can have your territory, that's fine. It's a bit like native title here, you know, you can have your native title. Looks good on paper. But what's under the ground is the state's. So we will continue to bring oil companies in. And so the oil companies continued through the 90s, the 2000s, the last three decades. I mean, Ecuador's constitution and also international treaties protect the rights of indigenous peoples. So I'm wondering, how has the Ecuador government legally justified opening up the Yasuni National Park for oil exploration or for these projects? It's just a commercial justification. So... There was a push up until 2013, an initiative that was put forward in the government to leave all these millions of barrels of oil in the ground if the international community paid for half of what would have been the revenue. They reckoned at the time 846 million barrels of oil. If the international community would pay for half of that revenue for Ecuador's government, then they would leave the oil in the ground. It took off. There was quite a lot of European governments um, put forward money. and But then the oil prices crashed globally. And then Ecuador's government just turned around, did a big backslide and said, oh, no, actually, we can't afford to not drill this oil. They were in a difficult position. They had tons of debt, you know. So they just went, OK, we're just going to drill. It started slightly after 2013, 2014-2015. And the project list describes is known as the Yasuni ITT Initiative an attempt to keep over a billion barrels of oil in the ground under the Yasuni National Park. But of the 336 million pledged by the international community, only 13 million is said to have been deposited in the two trust funds administered by the UN, making the scheme unworkable. The government of Ecuador reverted to Plan B to drill for oil, 
beginning around 2013-2014, and that's when the campaign that led to the successful referendum started. Yeah, and that's this is really important to recognise. There's two things going on. There's there's a real really strong direct democracy movement in Ecuador, and there's also these macroeconomic pressures that <laughs> that the government sort of you know keeps moving towards. Yeah, keeps um, juggling. Yeah, and mm. so one of the, just wanted to quickly mention a really important direct democracy movement that then started in 2013 when the ITT initiative was scrapped. A group called Yasunidas formed. Activists that have, you know, had been for decades fighting the Warani and other indigenous peoples in the Amazon around the oil issue and they just got together. They got a few hundred thousand signatures. In Ecuador, to have a referendum, you need to get a certain amount of popular support to, to put on the referendum. So they got way over the, the amount of signatures to present to the government to say, we need a referendum to around this oil issue in the Yasuni. And the president just threw out half the signatures and said they were fake. So the whole thing was scrapped for the next nine years until now, until just, you know, this year. They've been fighting to have this referendum. So that one and the, the other one, which we'll be talking about soon, were both the result of really long um, grassroots fights by the people who, you know, are wanting to protect their lands. So Tell me about the campaign. Like, who? What kind of people were involved in the campaign? Like the backgrounds generally, the Yasuni campaign. Okay, yes, Ecuador has has a really strong activist lead. There's a group called Acción Ecológica, Ecological Action, that have been around since the 80s. Groups like them and Yasuni. There's lots of grassroots groups, indigenous people. Some really good lawyers there. And that's the thing that most people don't hear about countries like Ecuador. They hear about the drugs and the violence and all of that stuff, but they don't hear about how just incredible people are. They've been a socialist country for 10 years. They know how to get up and organise, very, very good organisers, lots of social media, lots of just media campaigns, awareness raising. And in the past few years, there's been more international support as well. That's sort of built up the voice of the grassroots to the international level, which then said, well, no, it's actually really important for our global climate, as well as for Indigenous rights and for democracy, you know. Important for the climate, important for democracy, and for Indigenous rights. Liz Downs, coordinator of the Ecuadorian Endangered Campaign at the Rainforest Information Centre. And for Indigenous peoples living in the Amazon, Water is everything. And when the rivers are polluted with oil and toxic waste, well, it's as if we turned on our taps here in Australia and oil came out. The people of Ecuador saw the damage oil had done to the Warani and other First Peoples who depend on the Amazon for their survival. The campaign to stop the drilling strengthened. Here's indigenous activist and defender Alex Lusitante, with a song for the forests, hashtag Yasuni. Al ver el grave riesgo que atraviesa Yasuni, me sentí obligado a componer esta canción con el ánimo de generar conciencia y que todos podamos aprender a respetar más que todo la selva y la vida que existe en ella. Claras, muchos peces yo observé. 
yo miré, sigue siendo un misterio para mí. Yo no sé si era la familia Guaurani o eran los guerreros taromenanis que estaban allí. Siento toda esta riqueza. Song for the Force of Hashtag Yasuni by internationally recognized indigenous defender Alex Lusitante. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network, and my guest today is Liz Downs, coordinator of the Ecuadorian Endangered Campaign. We're looking at the two national referenda held in Ecuador in August this year, in which people voted to stop all current and future drilling in three oil fields inside the Yasuni National Park. Now, there are other oil fields in the park, and so that campaign will continue. I asked Liz to tell me more about the other referendum, in which an incredible 68% of people voted to end mining in the Chocoandino Forest near Ecuador's capital city, Quito. It's a fairly small area, much smaller than Yasuni, that's been protected from mostly gold mining, also a little bit of copper, a little bit of silver. But it's again, sort of like, like Yasuni, it's one of these mega biodiverse hotspots. As a result of the referendum, 12 metals mining concessions that do have their environmental licences to explore and potentially to exploit are now no longer allowed to continue their projects. And also, what's more important, six additional concessions that hadn't got to the stage of having their environmental approval stamped. Very uncomplicated process in Ecuador. A company can just go and say, we want an environmental licence to mine, and Ecuador's government goes, OK, and puts a stamp on, and then they can go out and do what they like. Anyway, but they hadn't got quite got through that yet, and they've been completely annulled. Two of them are Australian. Those two are owned by a, a subsidiary of Hancock Prospectings, 100% owned, so Australian-owned, and... This particular company, Hanreen, or Hanrein, that said Hanreen in Ecuador, just a bit further north, and I think it was the last time I came here on this show, we spoke a bit about their activities in a place called Buenos Aires, which is just, you know, it's, it's probably 50 or 60 kilometres north of this Choco Andino region, causing human rights abuses, you know, heavy oppression, militarisation, very heavy-handed treatment of the local population there. So this area, if it had been allowed to be in mind, would have become Buenos Aires. It would have become a militarised zone. The companies that were already in there mining, or they were exploring, but they had started to criminalise activists there's a pattern, you know, a mining company wants to come in, they first they try socialisation and when the people don't like the idea, you know, they still don't like the idea of having the mining company there in spite of being offered schools and jobs and what have you, they, the mining company resorts to more forceful tactics. So, and I guess yeah. people saw what had happened to the north with Buenos Aires like, and they thought, no, no yeah. we, we don't want that in our community. We don't want that in our community. They're, these are rural people. They're also mostly Indigenous have indigenous ancestry of that area, are descended from Yumbo, Yumbo people, which were there before the Incas came in the you know 15th century. They have archaeological sites, hundreds of archaeological sites in this, dotted through this area. A lot of them were in Hanrein's concessions. There's just a bit further north, it's the forest called Los Cedros, which Rainforest Information Centre led the international campaign to raise the legal fees for 
their mega court decision in 2021 to protect the rights of nature for Los Cedros. That's only about 50 kilometres north of the area that we're talking about with this referendum. There's lots of activity to stop the mining. Strong grassroots resistance, really important biodiversity areas, really important archaeological sites. You know, it's, it's just incredible what people have been doing for decades to try and keep their water clean, basically, and be able to continue farming this this, this rich agricultural land and protecting their, their unique um, biosphere as well. None of these 2 million hectares across Ecuador of new mining concessions, they were all handed out by the government in 2017 with absolutely no consultation. So that's the fight that is happening now, really, that communities are going, we weren't consulted. And that is the fight that's happening in Ecuador and around the world when Indigenous communities are not consulted about fossil fuel extractive projects that will have devastating effects on land and sea country and exacerbate the world's intensifying climate crisis. I asked Liz Downs about the economic alternatives for Ecuador what they might be. You know, Ecuador is an incredibly rich food growing area. Prime beautiful fruits and vegetables, lots of, they export, uh, I think, flowers, cut flowers is a big one here. Lots of small economies. And I think it's about also changing the mindset. Like, I don't think people are saying we can replace this mega bucks that's promised by oil and mining with another industry or a single industry that's going to give the same megabucks. What can happen is if you put together lots of rich localised economies and empower people to have sovereignty over how they want to use their land, you will have prosperity. You have prosperity within the country. People will be able to build up their businesses around that. It's getting out of this this mindset that we've got to have this one big industry that's going to bring in billions of dollars. And You know, uh, you know who's um, assessing the costs of these industries? to the environment, for example, Mm. to the way of life of uh, the First Peoples who live there, and then the cost of actually repairing it, because, of course, a lot of these mining companies say they will repair the damage, Mm. but will they? There are huge costs to having them. I mean, there's income. Massive, yeah. But there's huge costs to having them there as well. And, you know, Ecuador has two operating mines at the moment. One is a gold mine, but the other is a copper mine. They're both in the southeastern region of the Amazon rainforest area, and they've both caused massive damage. The Mirador mine is notorious. They've only started building it in 2014. They had assassinations of Indigenous leaders. They've had, you know, horrible human rights abuses, forcibly relocated whole villages. They've built the world's biggest tailings dam, which is bigger than the one that collapsed in Brazil. The risks are horrendous. But they're being downplayed by the mining industry and they're being downplayed by the government because, like, well, we need the money, so... We're not getting a real estimate, an accurate estimate. We're not getting a real estimate. So all we're getting is, Mm. you know, bright lights on the bit of money that the government gets from having them there, but no one's talking about what the costs are and will be when they leave. If yeah, because, yeah. I mean, there's a thing called investment security, which is pretty global. It's, it's where, yeah. where you, yeah. the company needs to know when it goes to a, a foreign country. Like, I mean, a third of the uh, investment in um, Ecuador that is in mining is Australian. 
So mm. Australian companies are going over there because it's like, oh, the, the investment security is really good here. <laughs> We've yeah. got plenty. The government's giving us lots of perks, you know, lots of tax breaks. Um, we can we can do this, yeah. and then and, and mili- uh, military support, military support, all of that stuff. But they're not saying um, what the people are saying now. Which the people are, have been mm. putting a national movement together over the past couple of years to say investment security isn't good. It's not good for the company either. If your, your tailings dam yeah. collapses, it's it's going to be bad for everybody. Bad for the environment. Where do you see it going from here? I mean, the runoff election's coming up, and it's between, as always, I guess, a person of left position and right right person. I mean, one of the things I thought was interesting in the Yasuni campaign was they were their push was coming in between those two because there were people on the left that supported mining apparently and people on the right who supported mining so they were going for the broad groundswell of people who didn't support it what are you seeing for the runoff election coming up there's a choice between a socialist president a, a woman called Luisa Gonzalez who follows the party line of Rafael Correa, who, you know, did a lot of good things and did some not so good things. I mean, it's like everybody. He, he was really good for um, social policies, um, education, health, infrastructure, absolutely brilliant in all of that, got Ecuador's poverty rate, improved dramatically, um, and people got had jobs and people were quite, you know, Ecuador became a really quite a stable country. But he abused indigenous rights and human rights, you know, to get to get the industry. He planned it all on oil. He needed to, to drill the oil to pay, pay off the debt to China to pay for the social programs. And so it's going to be either person gets in, it's, it's going to be probably not that great for the mining. Stopping the mining. Stopping it totally. Anyway. But, yeah. you know, so that's where we've got to go back to these referendum wins. And really also there's two things. One is nationally it galvanises courage, you know, in the people's movement. Each time you have something like Los Cedros or you have something like these referenda or you have another legal case, the Warani cases, each time you have that, you have people going, yeah, yeah, we can do this. It's also there's an international implication because Ecuador is a country of firsts. They were the first country to have the rights of nature and they were the first to leave oil in the ground What's the significance of the results of these two referendums for Ecuador? For Ecuador, galvanising the movement. The government is going to want to exploit somehow, like it's going to be oil or mining, you know, um, or both, because they they want to pay off their debts. They, every country in the world does this. You know, it's important that you have people who give an alternative vision and can empower that. And look at, you know, Ecuador's natural resources that are not, you know, extractive resources, resources that are for the people and they're also for nature in itself, the rights of nature. Nature has intrinsic rights. It's not a concept that nature has rights because they're good for humans. It's actually a river has the right to be clean. A species has the right to exist and thrive and not go extinct. That's in the constitution. So you're you're adding legislative weight to these constitutional laws as much as anything else. So there's a legal ramification. So legislative precedence is one other area that these wins are so important. And what about for the world? So for the world, these tropical regions, we can't lose them. We've got thousands upon thousands of species in there that haven't even been discovered by science. They are also regulators of the world's climate. The headwaters of the Amazon in the places like Yasuni, you know, A, you've got massive rivers that run down into the Amazon basin and into the Amazon River itself. They need to be clean. There's so much oil pollution in those rivers, it's it's horrific. 
And you also need those hydrological cycles to remain uninterrupted. So we can't have deforestation. It's really important to protect the headwaters as much as it is to to protect the Amazon in Brazil. Liz Downs. And as Liz says, Ecuador has set another example. In 2008, it included the rights of nature in its constitution. And now, for the first time in the world, a whole country has voted to stop oil drilling and mining in some areas, a campaign that will continue. Ultimately, Ecuador's people voted for life, the protection of nature and the planet, and for the territories and rights of indigenous peoples. We're coming up to the end of Earth Matters, and a big thank you to Liz Downs, coordinator of the Ecuadorian Endangered Campaign at the Rainforest Information Centre, and also member of the Melbourne Rainforest Action Group. You can find out more about the work of Liz and others by going to their website, www.rainforestinformationcentre.org, and Rainforest Information Centre is all one word. Just look for the Ecuador Endangered Campaign and do browse the website because there's so much great information there about all the campaigns they're involved with. Earth Matters thanks the Community Radio Network for their work in broadcasting today's episode and bringing it to you and the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous financial support. And of course to you. It's been great to have your company today. That's all for now, but tune in to Earth Matters next week to hear part two of Women Bring New Agendas to COP28 with Beck Horridge. I'm going to leave you with Ecuadorian Amazonian musician, singer-songwriter Mateo Kingman with Luvia. Caminando por la calle del pueblo cura Que nivel de calentura sudando el corazón Qué locura ardiendo el sol bravura Y una bandada de loras en las alturas Y es que la raza ya no aguanta más la tortura Cuánto durará y estamos todos purpura Y hasta el pueblo se satura, la selva se sulfura Vamos para reza que la lluvia no se apura Yo voy a cantar pa' que llores con dulzura Yo voy a cantar pa' que bailes con soltura Yo voy a cantar la tormenta ya madura Todos a la calle los trenos ya murmuran Los trenos ya murmuran Eres lluvia, eres como el agua Como el agua clara por la cordillera Tú vas bajando mi amor, tú me vas quitando el calor no. Eres lluvia, eres como el agua Eres como el agua clara por la cordillera Tú vas bajando mi amor, tú me vas quitando el calor Aguacero que revienta la Amazonía gris